Good morning, friends. I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and I'm excited to jump right back into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount again this morning. That's where we're going. As we jump in, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been expected to do something that you just knew you weren't going to be able to do? tracking with me. You ever been expected to do something? You just knew you're not going to be able to do it. Like this last weekend, I was at the Amana Kids Fundraising Gala. It's like the annual fundraiser that raises support for orphans and vulnerable kids in Rwanda, Africa. And uh, the guests, they started showing up at 5 p.m. and the program started at 6. So people show up at 5 o'clock, they look at the silent auction items, they learned about the organization, they shared experiences from their trips to visit the kids in Africa, they talked about their sponsors, sons and daughters, it was great, Um, everybody's talking and having fun. And then about 5.55... Just before the program is supposed to start, the event planner walks up to me and says, Eric, I need you to do something. Would you go round everybody up, tell them to take their seats so that we can stay on schedule? And I knew right then and there, I'm the wrong man for the job, right? This is not for me. I am not the kind of guy that interrupts conversations to keep things on schedule. I join in conversations that keep things off schedule, I don't tell people to sit and watch a program. I talk to the person next to me during the program. I was like, this just isn't for me. It was like she asked me to reach something on the top shelf. I don't have what it takes, all right? This is not for me. I'm the wrong guy. I had that, I'm going to fail at this before I even began sort of feeling. Do you know what that's like? You've been there, it kind of comes up in your chest. I can't do this. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to need some help. It doesn't mean you don't give it a shot. It just means you recognize I need some help. Well, friends, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like following Jesus has that kind of a feeling in your chest. You with me? Like, I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I see what Jesus says, and I just begin to feel, I think I might fail at this before I even get started. You remember what Jesus said? He said things like, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Have you ever been angry? Uh, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. You ever struggle with lust, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You love everybody that you hate? Like, that's just, what do you do with that? If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Are you always quick to forgive? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. You ever have greed? Do not be anxious. You struggle with anxiety. Judge not that you be not judged. You never judge anybody. Like, that's not even the whole list. That's just how far we've gotten to this point. And I look at what Jesus says, the example that he sets, the expectations that he has, and I look at the state of my own heart, and I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I've failed before I even began. I just think I don't have what it takes. It's like asking Doug to win a beer growing competition. It's not going to happen. He doesn't have it. To have any shot at getting into Jesus' kingdom, it's clear I'm going to need some help. And if you've ever felt that way, or if you're tracking with me this morning, then you're going to want to hear what Jesus has to say in our passage today. Because Jesus knows who we are. Listen, Jesus knows our weaknesses. 
and he knows our limitations, and better yet, he doesn't just know them, he can sympathize with us because he's been there too. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, for we do not have a high priest, they're talking about Jesus, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus is not distant and far off and unacquainted with life as we live it. Instead, he is close, he's near, he's experienced the same thing that we do. So what? What then? Goes on. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, Jesus knows the struggle is real because he's been through it. He can sympathize with us because he's experienced life on this earth just like you and I do. And that's a big deal because the Bible says since he's experienced that, he is ready to give us grace. He literally sits on a throne of grace. That means when we need mercy, he gives it. When we need help, he's ready to give that to you whenever we need it. So if you've ever felt like failure is your only option, because on your own, you don't have what it takes to meet the expectations, to follow all the rules, or to be the person that you're supposed to be, if you've ever felt like you're going to need some help, this morning Jesus is talking to you. He's ready to give you the help he needs. The Sermon on the Mount, we've said it over and over again, it's this invitation to life in the kingdom of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to see that in his kingdom, everybody who asks receives. Take a minute, let that soak into your soul. In Jesus' kingdom, everybody who asks receives. If you can't do it on your own, you can ask for help. If you uh, mess it up, you can ask for mercy. In Jesus' kingdom, nobody is on their own. So I think we can summarize Jesus' words in this part of the Sermon on the Mount in these three points. Number one, persist in prayer. Number two, he promises to provide. And number three, the picture is a parent. I got all P's this time. Pretty good, huh? Um, <laughs> number one, persist in prayer. We're going to start right there. Uh, let's look again at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7, verse 7 says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So here's Jesus' command, his instruction, his invitation to us this morning. Ask, seek, and knock. I love this. Jesus is telling us he wants us to actively pursue him. Ask, seek, knock. Now, there are lots of little kids in the room this morning. If you're a parent of little kids or you've ever been a parent of little kids or you were ever a little kid with parents, you know what this is like, right? Um, let me tell you a story. I, I, uh, I've got four kids myself, uh, four kids, all 10, under 10 years old. Uh, so it is a constant party at my house, okay? Lots of fun. I love my kids. Party all the time. 
Uh, I sometimes feel the need to escape the party atmosphere and find a little peace. Anybody with me on that, parents? And so for me, that happens in the bathroom. Don't judge me, okay? It's a private little place with a lock on the door, and sometimes you got to take what you can get, all right? So when I got to escape the party atmosphere, get a little peace, it happens in the bathroom, and there's this promise of like privacy and peace just for a few minutes. But if you got little kids at home, you know that promise does not always deliver, right? Because you step in there, and when you turn that lock on the door, like something turns in their soul. It's like they just know. And as soon as that happens... What do you hear? My kids start yelling, Dad, 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 where are you? They start asking. And about that time, I pray, Lord God, let them find their mother first, right? (laughs) That's not true. I don't pray that every time, but once in a while, all right? True confessions. So they start, Dad, where are you? They're asking. And then they start seeking. And you hear these little footprints all over the house. And they start coming up the stairs. And you're like, they are canvassing this place. And eventually, they're going to get to me. And so they're asking. And they're seeking. Dad, where are you? And then they see it. The bathroom door is closed. And they can't leave it at that. Right? What happens when they see that bathroom door closed? Dad, are you in there? They ask. And they seek. And they knock. And Friends, I didn't have to teach them to do any of those things. They just know somehow that's what they got to do, and they will find you, right? (laughs) Jesus says that we can seek our Father just like my kids seek me when they need the iPad code and I'm in the bathroom, right? Ask, seek, knock. He invites us to a persistent pursuit of the Father. I didn't have to teach my kids to do that. They just know that when they have a need, their dad wants to meet it. Jesus says we can pursue our Father like that. I want to encourage you guys today that Jesus actually means what he says here. He wants us to pursue him. He wants us to persist in prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking. And we know that because in the Bible, Jesus honors and celebrates the people who do it. So again, don't take my word for it. Let's look at God's word. Uh, Luke In his gospel, he introduces Jesus' parable of the persistent widow with these words. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You should, I'm going to tell you a story. A parable is a simple story that reveals a profound truth. He he introduces this one saying, Jesus told the story for this reason, always pray and don't lose heart. Keep on praying and don't stop. It sounds a lot like just persist in prayer, right? Ask, seek, knock. So then Jesus tells this parable of the persistent widow. And in it, there's a judge and a widow. And the widow goes to the judge and asks for justice. Judge, I need justice. And you know what the judge does? He rejects her. Nope. Not going to give it. And so the widow, undeterred, comes back again. Judge, give me justice. Nope, not going to do it. She came back again and again and again. And she just kept asking and asking and asking. And the Bible says eventually that judge granted her request because of her continual coming. 
Friends, Jesus did not get after that woman for persisting, persistently asking. He held her up as our example. He celebrated and honored her persistent request. Jesus wants us to prayerfully pursue him. Again, in the book of Matthew, there's a story of a Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed with a demon, and she went to Jesus crying out for help. Now, historically, the Canaanite people are the enemies of God's people. When they came shouting at God's people, they were usually cries of hatred, not cries for help. So when she comes shouting at Jesus and his disciples, it gets a little awkward, and they turn her away. But she knew, my daughter, she's in bad shape, and I need help, and my hope is in Jesus. He's the only one that can do this. And so I'm going to go ask again. And so she goes again and pleads, Jesus, please heal my daughter. And he explains to her the situation. Look, your people have rejected my father. They've rejected the God of the universe. They've rejected me. And so this isn't for you. She turns her away. He turns her away. And undeterred, she comes back again. Jesus, is there nothing, even the crumbs that fall off the table, is there nothing you can give me? And in her persistent asking, her desperate hope in Jesus was put on display. And he saw it. He saw her faith. And Jesus granted her request and healed her daughter. Listen, Jesus did not get after her for persistent asking. He celebrated and honored that persistent pursuit. He wants us to pursue him. Ask, seek, knock. And so we might ask, why would Jesus want that? Isn't persistent asking just nagging? Doesn't that get annoying? Why would he celebrate and honor persistent asking and seeking and knocking? Does he just need a lot of reminders because there weren't iPhones back then? (laughs) Does he not know and so he needs told? Does he not want to provide for us and so somehow we have to be persistent so that we can coerce or persuade him? Why would he want us to persistently ask? Well, I don't think it's any of the reasons that I just gave because the Bible says Jesus knows the hearts of men and women. He literally searches our hearts. So he doesn't need us to tell him what we need. He already knows that. Uh, He doesn't need persuaded to provide for us. The Bible says it is his good pleasure to give us his kingdom. It is his joy to provide for his people. So he doesn't need convinced or coerced So why then do we ask? Why persist? Pastor John Stott says it this way. We ask not because God is ignorant or needs persuaded to give, but to show that we are willing to receive. We ask not because Jesus doesn't know or Jesus doesn't want to. We ask to show that we are willing to receive. Now let me give you an example of this. I ran into Mike and Monica Miller. They're a cool couple from our church. I ran into them at Menards last week. And as I was talking to them, Mike told me a story about some guys at his work. There was an older gentleman 
who lives south of here, outside of Glenwood, whose home was threatened by the rising floodwaters. This was a few weeks back. And so these two guys that Mike works with offered to help him. They said, man, we've got flatbed trailers. We'll bring them to your place. We'll help load up your stuff. We'll take it to safety until the threat of the flood goes away. And this guy said, no, thank you. So the threat continues. It escalated. It got worse. And so they offered again, hey, man, we can help you. We've got the trailers. We'll help load up your stuff. We'll take it to safety and keep it until the threat goes away. Let us help you. And he said, no, thank you. It's a true story. Days later, the flood came and he lost everything. I don't know who this guy is and I don't know why he rejected the offer of help. What I do know is he didn't ask for it and he didn't receive it. See what happened? The helpers were there. The offer was on the table. They were ready and willing to give him what he needed, but he was not ready or willing to receive it. Asking, seeking, and knocking are not tools to convince a distant God to pay attention to us for a minute. Asking, seeking, and knocking are ways that we ready our heart and put on display our willingness to receive from the God who's ready to give. Amen? We ask, we seek, and we knock. Now, some of you know what it's like to persist in prayerful asking like that. You long to experience more of Jesus' kingdom, and so you prayerfully ask. Maybe, maybe your kids have walked away from Jesus, and so you pray for them often. Maybe your parents' marriage is rocky, and so you just pray that each of them uh, would love each other the way they each love you. Maybe one of the things that Jesus talked about earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, things like anger or lust or hatred or unforgiveness or greed or anxiety or judgment, maybe one of those things has taken root in your heart. And so you pray often for forgiveness, for help, for the power to change. And when we pray those persistent prayers and the answers come, it's incredible. And many of you know that joy. I think many of you also just know the challenge. It is hard to persist in prayers like that when the answers don't come when we want or the way we want. Are you with me? Um, Pastor Sam Storms is helpful here. He says, the easiest thing about prayer is quitting. The easiest thing about prayer is quitting. Maybe you've prayed and felt like God hasn't answered. It's easy to quit. Maybe you're seeking and you feel like you're no closer to finding than you were when you started. It's easier to just give up than to keep on going. Maybe you feel like something has closed you out, like closed you out of God's kingdom or his favor or closed you out of your family or closed you out of some dream or desire that you've had or closed you out of the life that you thought God had for you. Maybe you feel like something has closed you out and you have knocked on the door so long and so hard that your hands hurt and you're ready to quit knocking. As I prayed and prepared for this morning, and I just got the sense 
there are probably people here today who've given up on prayer. It's just easier to quit. Not given up altogether, but given up on this persistent praying. Like maybe there's something that you've prayed for for so long and the answers just didn't come and you got frustrated or you got hurt and so you just gave up. As I prayed, I felt like there's somebody here this morning that's in that situation. Is that you? You remember those things you used to pray for that you just, it hurts too bad and so you don't go there anymore? I want you to hear this morning the same invitation that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus' command, his instruction, his invitation now and always is to persist. Keep going. Don't give up and don't quit. Ask, seek, knock like a kid looking for their parents. Your father wants to meet your needs. He sits on a throne of grace. Friends, don't quit. Keep going. Ask, seek, knock, persist in prayer. So number one, the command is pretty clear. We are to persist in prayer, but it leaves us with a question. Man, if persisting in prayer gets hard, how do we persist? What, is, what fuels the engine of prayer when it feels like we're running on low? What gets us back in the game when we're ready to sit out? I think Jesus gives us the answer. He promises to provide. All right, this is number two. Jesus promises to provide. In his kingdom, everybody who asks receives. That's the promise. Uh, let me read his words to you again. This is Matthew 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. The asker receives, the seeker finds, and when you knock, it is opened to you. That's the promise. God answers prayers. It's bold, and Jesus said it so we can believe it. We're going to unpack it, but I want to start off just by saying there are all kinds of examples of answered prayer in our church, just in the lives and experiences of people right here, close to home. So I'll tell you one that stuck with me since I was a little kid. My folks had four boys, have four boys, and so we grew up um, in a house that was crazy, and my mom is a bona fide saint because of it, all right? She raised all four of us, uh, along with my dad, and so um, she one time was going to pick up a friend to do something. I don't remember the exact context, but what I do know is the car was a disaster because my brothers and I had left it that way because that's what we did, and so she was going to go pick up a friend. She thought, I'm going to vacuum out this car before I do that. So she drove to the car wash, you know, those big machines with the long hoses, and she opened her door and she started looking for quarters. And there were none in her purse, there were none in the center console, there were none on the floor, she just couldn't find any. So she says this little prayer, almost flippantly, kind of, Jesus, help me find a quarter, right? Have you ever prayed anything like that, just in the moment? And immediately afterwards, she gets this sense, I don't know if I should have prayed that, like... Does God really care about a quarter? Maybe he's going to teach me a lesson about humility or vanity or planning ahead. I should have just checked for quarters before I came. I knew I would need one. Um, God's got bigger fish to fry than my quarter and my clean car. She started feeling like maybe I shouldn't even have prayed that prayer. You ever got there? 
maybe it's just not even worth asking. And so she uh, sat in the driver's seat. She was getting ready to pull away. And an attendant from the car wash walked out and said, excuse me, hey, we got to test these machines every so often. I'm going to turn it on. If you want to use it for free, go ahead. <laughs> right? Pretty amazing. Like she's wondering, does God even care about my quarter? And the answer was, I don't care about the quarter, but I care about you. I don't need a quarter to turn on this machine. I can do whatever I want. And so you have a need. You can ask for it. He heard it and he responded in ways she didn't expect. It was far better than what she could have expected. He answered her prayer. God promises. Whoever asks, receives, right? And the answers to prayer, they aren't just about quarters and clean cars. They go deeper than that. It's about changed lives. It's about freedom from sin. It's about light out of darkness and life where there was only death. So let me tell you another story. There's a guy in our church named Tim. Tim's got a brother who struggled with addiction and was far from Jesus for a long time. If you know that sort of situation, you know the weight that it was on Tim. And so he prayed for his brother often. God, would you save him from addiction and bring him into your family? Like, would you just save my brother? And so Tim prayed for a long time. And once in a while there were glimpses of hope, and oftentimes it was just a struggle. And then last week, Tim got a text from his brother. And I want to read part of it to you. This is his brother to Tim. I remember hearing your prayers. I remember seeing how happy you had become. I remember seeing a change in you. And as your younger brother, I wanted the same, just to be happy. I watched closely. I asked myself the question, how and why is my brother so happy and so content? I knew then I had to find Jesus Christ. Not through you or anyone else, but to find him on my own. All that matters now is that I found him and accept Jesus Christ as my savior. I pray every day for God to help me so that I may help others like you helped me. Friends, God answers prayer. I don't know what prayers you've been praying, but if this isn't fuel for the fire of prayer, I don't know what is. Like Tim saw his brother lost in addiction and far from Jesus, and unbeknownst to Tim, his brother was standing in that darkness looking and listening. He literally heard Tim's prayer for him and said, it impacted me. And I was standing in a world I did not want to be in. And I saw where you were in the kingdom of Jesus. And I wondered, how did you get there? What is that like? I want what you have. And that looking and that desiring, it led to an understanding Jesus has changed you, and I want that same Jesus to change me. What Tim had been asking for and praying for didn't come in the moment like the vacuum did for my mom. It came after a long season of prayer, but God wasn't distant and careless. He was close and working, and he saved Tim's brother for his glory, right? God answers prayers. Friends, in the kingdom of Jesus, everyone who asks receives. It's the nature of his kingdom. Jesus promises to provide. And so I want to address the elephant in the room right now, okay? Jesus' statements about this seem absolute. And we trust Jesus, 
And we take him at his word, but man, these are absolute. Everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. To the one who knocks, it will be open. Absolute. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying that anybody can ask for anything and they're going to get it? Is God like a genie where you just fold your hands and make a wish and poof, right? Is that how it works? And for anybody who didn't study for a test and said a desperate prayer, God, please help me, and then you fail, you know that's not how it works, right? It does not happen that way every time. And so if Jesus doesn't answer us like a genie, the question is, how does he answer? And again, he tells us. God doesn't answer like a genie. God answers like a father. The picture is a parent. Let's look one last time at Jesus' words. We'll read the end of our passage again. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. Or which one of you... If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is tapping into the common reality that parents generally want to give good things to their children. Right? So he gives these examples. Twice, a child asks his parent for something to eat. First bread and then fish. And Jesus is saying, parents, when they're asked questions like that, don't try to trick their kids. Uh, Think Thanksgiving. Your son comes up and asks you, are there any more rolls? Can I have one? Most parents don't think, hmm, as I walked in the house, I saw a rock that kind of looked like a roll. I could go get that and give it to him instead and trick him, see how it works out, right? Parents don't do that kind of thing. Or if your daughter asks you for a fish, which would have been more common back then than it is now, but track with me. If your daughter asks you for a fish to eat, most parents don't say, huh, fish are scaly, snakes are scaly. (laughs) Instead of giving her a fish to bite into, I'll give her a snake that'll bite into her. We'll see how it turns out, right? Parents don't do that kind of thing. They don't want to trick their kids. They want to give their kids good things. And then Jesus says there's a comparison on order of magnitude, right? If parents like us, generally, Parents who are selfish, who have limited knowledge and limited resources. Jesus calls us evil. If we generally give good gifts to our kids, how much more, how much greater is God's desire, who is perfect and holy and righteous and good with unlimited knowledge and unlimited insight and unlimited resources, how much more would that father give good gifts to those who ask him? The answer is way more, like unimaginably more. As much as God is better than us, he gives good gifts better than us. He does it all the time without fail. Amen? And so we've already told a few stories of how God answers prayer through quarters and text messages. Um, But I want to address unanswered prayer. If God is a good father, 
what do we do with unanswered prayers? I think the questions are, could an answer of no ever be a good thing from a father? Could the answer wait ever be a good thing from a father, even if it was wait for a long, long time? Could no or wait what feels like unanswered prayers ever be a good thing from a father? The obvious answer comes from the great theologian Garth Brooks, who (laughs) sang in his treatise on the subject, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And in the song, he sings, thanking God that he did not answer the prayer to give him his high school sweetheart's hand in marriage because the woman that he gave him was so much better, right? Uh, Was such a better fit. It's a great story for a country song, but it also just taps into this reality that sometimes we don't know if what we're asking is really good for us, right? Are Are you following me here? Sometimes we don't know if what we're asking for is really good for us. And so part of a walk of faith in the kingdom of Jesus is just trusting that our Father is a good Father who does know what's good for us and only gives us good gifts. Can the answer of no or wait ever be a good thing from a Father? Let me give you an example I remember when I was in high school, um, the summer of my freshman or sophomore year, I was playing football, believe it or not, I tried to do that, and we were doing two-a-days, it was hot, I was sore, we had run a lot, we were conditioning, and I asked my dad, can I skip practice today? And my dad said no, and promptly delivered me back to the practice field for more running, In the moment, that no did not feel loving. I was sore. I did not want to run anymore in the hot summer sun, but he made me do it. But later, I realized that was a loving no. I learned commitment. I learned work ethic. I learned perseverance. I knew, my dad knew that what I was going to go through on that practice field would prepare me for what was ahead. And I needed to go there even though I didn't want to. That was a loving no. Sometimes unanswered prayers or prayers that are answered with a wait or a no aren't bad. It's the answer of a loving father who gives only good gifts to his kids. We persist in prayer because God promises to provide like a good parent. And so uh, this brings us to the end. I want to end by looking at this same passage of the Sermon on the Mount, the same part of it in the book of Luke. So same part of the sermon, different gospel uh, record of it. There's really only one significant difference. See if you can catch it. Here's what Luke wrote. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see the difference? Did you catch it? The good thing that the Father gives is the Holy Spirit. The best gift we can get from the Father is his Spirit living in us. The greatest gift of the Father is himself, right? Friends, don't miss this. It would be a shame 
if we read this part of the Sermon on the Mount and walked away thinking that what Jesus wanted us to do was to only ask him to provide for things on this earth that will not last or satisfy. That is not what he is getting at. He wants what is good for us and knows that the greatest good for us is being close to him. It's knowing him. It's having his spirit literally living and indwelling in us to give us his hope, his comfort, his presence, his power, his love now and for eternity. And if we see Jesus' words in that light, we can know that we know that we know everyone who asks receives. God is ready to give. So friends, let's persist in prayer. Let's believe the promises of God because he is our good father. Amen? Let's pray. Great and awesome God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that, man, you just know the kind of people that, we are. I am. Uh, I read your Sermon on the Mount, and I just feel this weight of, man, what you're saying sounds good, but I just can't do it. I'm going to fail before I even get started. And when you see me about to buckle, Jesus, you don't leave me there. You jump in and say, hey, I know what you need, and I want to give it to you. You invite a persistent pursuit, an asking and a receiving, a seeking and a finding, a knocking and an opening. Jesus, you are good all the time, especially when we need it. And so Jesus, this morning, I just want to pray for a couple people. One, I want to pray for the people in our church who have given up on persistent prayer. Uh, I want to pray for the people who read passages like this and they sting because they know what it's like to ask and seek and knock and they just feel this hurt, this confusion, this frustration, this pain it feels like you have not answered them. So God, I just ask today, would you give us grace, mercy, help in time of need? Would you restore our belief that your promises are true and you have the power to fulfill them? God, I pray that you would call us back into praying for those things that are hard to pray for. And God, for some, I just ask that you would answer those prayers, like Tim, who prayed for a long, long time and actually got a text message confirming you had answered. God, I pray that some people here today would get that kind of a response, an answered prayer that they get to celebrate now and always, confirming you love them and you're answering. And God, for others, I just pray that they would take comfort in your promises. I think even of the uh, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus, you said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Guys, those words are just as true as all the other words in your Bible. And so I pray for the people who are seeking and asking and knocking without answer. God, would you assure them and prove to them that there is blessing when they mourn. Blessing when they're poor in spirit. Blessing even when the times are hard. God, would a no or a wait feel like a loving answer today, maybe in a way that hasn't felt like that before. And God, I uh, also want to pray for the people who are like Tim's brother, who look in at a kingdom like this and see your truth and wonder, is it real? 
They hear words like everyone who asks receives, but in their experience, uh, they don't have anybody to ask and nobody to receive from. And God, I pray for those people, maybe who are here even now, who've just never taken a step to ask you um, to open the door to your kingdom for them, uh, who've, who've never taken the step to seek you, that you might be found. God, I pray today that your promises um, will be tested, that they would say, if that's true, I'm going to ask and seek and knock today. If that's you, if you're wondering that, you can just pray even now. Ask questions. Jesus, is this real? Are you real? Do you care even about me? Can you save somebody who's as lost and confused and hurting as I am with the baggage that I have? Jesus, can you save me? Would you open the doors to your kingdom, your grace, your forgiveness, your love, your power to somebody like me? Ask and knock, seek, and you will find. Jesus, would you invite people into your kingdom today? Saves them from life, from death to life, from darkness to light. Oh, Jesus, would you make, a pe- make us a people of persistent prayer because we believe in your promises and find you to be the good father that you are. We pray it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.